What is up, everyone? Welcome to There Can Only Be One, the podcast that puts together the all-star best of playlists of your favorite singers, songwriters, and bands. Also, a proud member of the Pantheon podcast family. Now, when you're taking a look at some of the bands out there that you want a podcast to go through, you, as a listener, you want the best. And now you're going to get the best because we are going to be talking about the one and only Kiss. And here to join me for that road is Lal Robichaud from AM640 Toronto. Lal, welcome to the show. How are you doing, man? Doing great, Jason. So glad to be back. Cannot wait for this journey that we have signed ourselves up for. Yeah, you you didn't make the, the task easy on this one because, dear listeners, you're going to have to strap in. We're going to be here for a while. But, Law, before we get into this, though, what is it about KISS that made you want to you know pitch them as the next band to do? Um, like most of the other bands that I've talked about, it's just because they were one of my favorites when I was a kid. Uh, was a huge 80s rock kid growing up. That was my hockey soundtrack. But Kiss particularly kind of the theatrics, the face paint. I'm a big pro wrestling fan. They're very close together in their own ways. So Kiss was a very, very much a match made in heaven of all the things that I like rolled into a band. That also happens to sound amazing. And refresh my memory here, because, you know, it's been a while since I've watched wrestling. Wasn't there a wrestler that, that I guess was kind of partnered with Kiss called The Beast? That I think it was in WCW. No, it was the demon. Was they the straight demon, up called yes. him the Kiss Demon. It was a, it was an ad for the band more than it was an actual wrestler. But it was the Kiss Demon uh, sponsored by Gene Simmons. They even did some vignettes with Gene kind of trying to cut the uh, make him seem like a big deal in the promos and stuff. Didn't last very long, but I thought it was cool. <laughs> I, I, I remembered like that coming out. I'm like, Gene Simmons will not you know, advertise. There's nothing that Gene Simmons would not advertise through this is just absolutely not (laughs) well when i said strap in we have a long trip to get through because we are about to go through 20 kiss albums now there are going to be some albums that are left out as usual we're not going to be dealing with best of albums we're not going to be dealing with live albums so we're ignoring the alive one two three we're ignoring the the best of so like smashes thrashes and hits so there are some songs that won't be on the table uh we're also not going to be tackling the four solo albums that were put out all at the same time one for each member why because we're 20 albums already and at some point we have to say no mas (laughs) We has got to be a limit. <laughs> we also have a lot of chime-ins that have come in uh, from everyone from on social media, as well as some of our fellow Pantheon podcasters, Brian Colburn from My Weekly Mixtape, uh, Sonny Pooney from the Grown Up Rock podcast, and Tom Giliotti from the Shout It Out Loud cast. So we got some people who know what the heck they're talking about here. So we have a long trip ahead of us, and we have to start in 1974 and February 18th, the release of Kiss's first self-titled album. The band, of course, at this point is Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Peter Chris, and Ace Fraley. The album peaked at number 87 in the U.S. It's gold in the U.S. and Canada. There were three singles off of this one. The highest charting in the U.S. was actually Kiss in Time. Now, to get to the shout-outs here, Brian Colburn went with Deuce, Sonny Pooney went with Deuce, Tom Giliotti went with Deuce, Jason Palladino went with Black Diamond, 
and Ken Goss and Rob Murphy went with Strutter. So off of the self-titled album, what did you go with? I actually went with Strutter as well. I just like it better than the other ones. This is very much a we don't know what we're doing yet, but we think we're on to something album much more subdued with the theatrics. The album cover is very simple compared to some of the other crazy stuff they do later. But uh, I went with Strutter just because I love the opening, the opening riff. I like how it's a little bit more of a different tempo than some of the other things on the album. And I just love the song from my childhood as well. So there is some personal bias on that. When you think about an introduction, you know, those first impressions, this is your first album right out of the gate. And the first song on the CD is strutter and what a way to introduce yourself like the songs got swagger the songs got staying power like let's do the math here because in a few months that song is going to be 50 years old wow like 50 we're getting close to that to, to that point and it's it's kind of scary but still strutter to this day still holds I think it does too. I think this whole album holds up really well in the grand scheme of things in there. It's not it, bigger than a catalog. The tome of kiss albums that have come out, their first one still holds up. And when you put out as much material as they have, the fact that the first one is still so revered is a good thing. Oh, absolutely. And it's one of those things where I, I would be fascinated to take a look at bands that have lasted, you know, X amount of years. You know, you have to think, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, maybe. And, equate the length of their longevity to the strength of the very first song on the very first album. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a correlation between the two. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It really does track when you look at it that way. Well, let's move on to a little bit later in 1974 with hotter than hell released October 22nd of that year. It is gold in the U S peaked at number 100 in the u.s and number 29 in canada there was one single off of this one let me go rock and roll although it did not chart rob murphy went with going blind by the way rob murphy is actually the singer for my first ever band and i know how much of a big kiss fan that he is so this is wonderful that he was able to chime in on this one here jason paladino went with strange ways brian colburn went with coming home sunny Pooney went with parasite and tom went with parasite as well so off of hotter than hell what did you go with I went with Parasite, but it was a really big tie between that and Mainline, actually. One of the deeper cuts from the album. Um, it was it, This is a sophomore slump of an album in, in my mind. Nothing here really sticks out to me as like a classic. Even going back to listen through, there was two or three songs. I was like, I'm not even sure if I've even heard this before. But Parasite is definitely the uh, the gold sticking out of the uh, the riverbed in this one. See, I liked Parasite. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it's it's a good song. It's a great song. You know, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't. But sometimes a cover comes along and makes the song better. And I have to give full credit where credit is due. When Anthrax covered Parasite on the Attack of the Killer Bees album, they did it better. I, I, I'm not going to lie. It's a phenomenal cover. This was a tough album for me. And it really came down to three songs. Uh, watching you coming home and going blind the latter of the two really were sold for me off of because of the kiss unplugged album which personal opinion kisses mtv unplugged album is the is tied for the best 
unplugged album. It's up there with Alice in Chains. Those I was are about the- to say, I know the one that you're thinking of in number one is probably Alice in Chains. Yeah. But honestly, I, I go back and even watch the videos that they did for that. And the setup is really pretty. It's it's such a well-produced album as well. It does. It sounds really good. Mm-hmm. Now, it's funny because I'm actually going to change my pick from what I had here because, of course, I'm going to be talking a lot about that Unplugged album because of all the Kiss albums out there, I think Kiss Unplugged is the one that I have played the most on various stereos. I originally had Watching You written down here, but I'm changing my mind because Going Blind happens to be, I, I think, of... Gene Simmons sung songs it might be one of his best yes I think I can agree with that very easily and not to mention it's got a really good bass line in that as well you can tell when he's having fun in his songs. you can really tell the songs that he kind of put more effort not effort that's not the right word when he was feeling it more than others because the bass comes alive in stuff where he seems to be at his best and you know I I know like, you know, bassists like Getty Lee and Les Claypool, they get they get all of the, the kudos and the cred and whatnot, but now for nothing, Gene Simmons is a phenomenal bass player, and this is a bass player talking about that. Yeah, and I think the the Mount Rushmore, you've already said two names, but I think the other two, deservingly so, are Gene Simmons and Lemmy from Motorhead. I don't know if I put Lemmy from Motorhead on the Mount Rushmore of bass players. I would make a case for Billy Sheehan, of course, of Mr. Big and Sons of Apollo and David Lee Roth and and Talis and so many other acts and sorry, winery dogs. Like Billy Sheen is a stupidly talented bass player. That is true. And he the project you could do a whole podcast just on his projects. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're looking for a good deep dive into Billy Sheehan, uh Brian Colburn over at My Weekly Mixtape actually had him on their show. So make sure you go listen to My Weekly Mixtape and his episode with Billy Sheehan. Uh, because I know Brian's a bassist as well. So, you know, we all appreciate the bass talent here. But now we move on to Dress to Kill, released March 19th, 1975. Hit number 32 in the U.S. and it's gold in the U.S. as well. There were two singles off of this one. Rock and Roll All Night. I, I think we've all heard of that song. Uh, hit number <laughs> 68 in the U.S. Now, Rob went with Ladies in Waiting. Jason went with Rock and Roll All Night. Brian went with She. Sonny Pooney went with Room Service and Tom went with Love Her All I Can. So that's five shout outs and five different songs. And that just alone tells you how good Dress to Kill is as an album. So off of this one, what did you go with? I It was a very hard toss up between Room Service and what I picked because you're right. This is a no filler album. This is the absolute coming back after Hotter Than Hell and almost perfecting the formula not quite yet the peak comes soon but rock and roll all night is just it's a generational anthem everybody knows that song it's in so many movies it's in so much other media and it's kind of trend like every single party you go to has that song on the playlist and that speaks to the album it's it's funny like yes i have played rock and roll all night live and it's a fun song to play and whatnot and that is you know six six people five different songs and i'm going to throw another one into the mix because my choice off of this one is rock bottom and again that is a good one it's another one of those songs that was sold to me because of the unplugged album like i cannot stress enough how good that album is and i've said it before the 
the weight of a song, the quality of a song can be measured very easily by how good you take an electric song and translate it to acoustically. And if it holds, then damn, is that a good song? Yeah, and actually, when I saw Kiss Live, the one time I did get to see them in uh, St. John, New Brunswick in like 2012, they played Rock Bottom and they called it a deep cut. Uh, Right before they played it, they said, we're going to play a couple that aren't so big. And they went into that one first. And the reaction from the crowd was massive. So it's not that deep. I don't think it's as deep a cut as they think it is. I mean, was it a single? No. You know, was it a, a big song? No. But is it a loved song? Hells yeah. And that that was the thing too, where, you know, obviously when you think Kiss, you think Alive, you think Alive too. Um, I remember playing the crap out of Alive 3 on my, on my little Sony Walkman there, like day in, day out kind of thing. And of course, Kiss Unplugged. Um, it really showed just how well those songs translated live. And Kiss has always been one of those bands that sold themselves and the longevity of Kiss was based on their live performances. And I, I, I'm not going to lie, I have Kissery Volume 2 and Volume 3 at home here. And I have watched those DVDs and even sat down and listened to them with the Gene and Paul commentary on all of them. And it's just like, yeah, no, this is... This was good deep diving stuff. And even some of the the albums you wouldn't necessarily expect when those songs are played live, they're like, okay, I get it now. And they're a very good band at building a mythos about themselves. There's been so many personnel changes and so many different like eras of the band that they've done a really, they've almost made time capsules of themselves decade to decade which is great for, like you said, if you're into like supplemental material and deep dives, documentaries, books, the amount of books on Kiss is insane. I've read two of them, one in high school and one recently, only a couple of years ago. And the Gene Simmons Family Jewels TV show, obviously, that was another thing where if you were a fan of Kiss, you almost had to watch that because it was a mini documentary in itself. They talked about the band all the time and everything you watch, there still seems to be some nugget of new information, which is insane to me that you're still learning cool stories and interesting tidbits about like different songs this far down the line. Oh, there are, there's a handful of bands that will be, even after they are long gone, will still be part of the conversation. Uh, You can think about like bands like Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, the Rolling Stones and the Beatles. And yes, Kiss, you know, are, are they as revered awards wise? No, but it, I don't think it's a, it's a far stretch to sit there and think that they may be one of the best all-time American rock bands. I always ask people because I've had, I've obviously, when you're a big fan of Kiss, and I was a big fan at one point, I had a lot of Kiss merch. I had a Kiss belt buckle in high school that I thought was the coolest thing in the world. But they will always come to you with that argument like, oh yeah, they're good, but it's not Led Zeppelin. It's not this. I always say, do the Led Zeppelin fans have rooms in their house dedicated to the almost a shrine of like thousands of different pieces of merchandise that there is out there about kiss does your band have that many merchandise do they have the bobbleheads do they have the comic books printed in their own blood as ink no because kiss is the only people that could do that and carry it and still keep a fan base that big frothing for every piece of merch that comes out yeah, I think you if you're looking across the pond for bands with that kind of impact, you may be looking at bands like Iron Maiden, 
you know, where, you know, where the image is as important as the music. And the image never trumped the music. Kiss wouldn't have lasted as long as they did if the songs weren't good. Yes, really good music, but they also had an amazing gimmick as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, if it was just the gimmick, now I'm not not going to lie, I do like a few Guar albums, but Guar is one of those bands where the gimmick trumps the music, no matter how much you like Guar. Kiss, the songs stand the test of time. The gimmick was just the selling purpose. And I think it's because they the music was first in the first place. They formed the band, realized they sounded good, and there was, okay, what we have to do something to put us apart. It wasn't a let's do the put us apart thing and then we'll figure the sound out later. Yeah, no. And the fact that they made the live show that they always wanted to see, like that's that's what they would always say. Like we wanted to create the show that we always wanted to see and that they did. Which and, yeah. Yeah, which leads us to Destroyer, which was released March 15th, 1976, hit number 11 in the US. It is double platinum in the states. There were four singles off of this one. Beth, of course, hit number seven in the U.S., but Shout It Out Loud hit number one in Canada. Now, Beth, the song, won fave new song at the 1977 People's Choice Awards. However, none of our shoutouts actually chose Beth. Jason Palladino, Brian Colbert, and Sonny Pooney all went with Detroit Rock City. Tom from the Shout It Out Loud podcast went with Do You Love Me? And Rob Murphy went with God of Thunder. And I'm not going to lie, I got to side with my former bandmate. I'm going with God of Thunder off of this one. You know, this is probably like a contender for album of the decade in the 70s. For importance, for bringing a band that would be as big as they are kind of out of the stratosphere. This was the big into space moment. I think there's so many good hits on here. Detroit rock city king of the nighttime world is great. I went with sweet pain, Jason. Oh, wow. Sweet pain, sweet pain is the most underrated kiss song. I think one of the most, if not the most underrated kiss songs, I think it's, it really meshes the beginning sound that they had with what they've come to here in destroyer, which is the 80 full, like, 80s before they were 80s glam glory it was great but i think sweet pain is where they hit their hit their stride here but you could pick any one of these and you're not wrong well and that's the thing too when you think about it like this is you know coming after a live one and you know these these are the songs that would make up the the bulk of alive too and i remember the god of thunder version on alive too and i don't know what warble they were doing on gene's mic on that one but you know, when you get to the I am the Lord of the Wasteland, it's like, oh my God, I wish I was at that show. Like, again, some albums, you're right, absolutely define a generation. And I take a look at just even the album art for this album. You know, yes. It is as iconic an album for the presentation as it is for the songs on here. And I like how every, it it's deeper than it looks, too, because you've got every single member of the band and they're doing their character. There's little bits where you see kind of if you're a person who hasn't been introduced to them yet and you see this cover, it draws your attention. Who are these guys like? And it gives you a little kind of character model in each one of them to say, OK, well, Spaceman is this. This is the demon, obviously. It's it's 
it's perfect. It's one. It's a very near to perfect, if not perfect, album. Yeah, I mean, when you think about the album cover for like uh, the first Kiss album, it's okay, right? Harder than hell. It's 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 not bad, right? Dress to Kill. It's cute, you know, makeup and suits, you know. But Destroyer, like this is the one where you sit there and they literally look like comic book characters. They do, and they do a really good job of making it feel like an explosion. It's really big. It's like everything they do. They went really big with it. Oh, absolutely. And it's a it's a hard album to choose just one off of. This is the kind of album that makes me regret ever creating this podcast. Yes, because this is one of those out. You, there's no wrong or right answer. Oh, like no. it's, it's it's a paradox. Yeah, no, it's like you. And the funny thing is, your your song may may switch dependent on the day it's because the album kind of has a little bit of everything for everybody it does it has some like it's got the harder stuff like you said like with your gods of thunder it's got uh flaming youth which is starts with a saxophone riff of all things it it does go all over the map but everything it touches it does perfectly we now move on to Rock and Roll Over, released November 11th, 1976. The album hit number 11 in the U.S. and is platinum. There were two singles off of this one. Hard Luck Woman hit number 15 in the U.S. and Calling Dr. Love hit number two in Canada. Now, Rob Murphy went with Calling Dr. Love. Jason Palladino with Har- went with Hard Luck Woman. Brian Colburn, he went with Calling Dr. Love. And Sonny and Tom both went with Mr. Speed. So off of Rock and Roll Over, what did you go with? So there's some smart people on your panel, Jason, because I went with Mr. Speed and I wasn't expecting anyone else to pick it, which is amazing. Obviously, Calling Dr. Love is a classic. That's on every Greatest Hits album they have. But Mr. Speed is so sing-along, fun. to That's a driving-in-the-car song. I, when I was on my way to hockey, Mr. Speed was always on the playlist for where we were going. It's really good tempo. They sing almost differently in this one than they do in some of their other songs. It's much more verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Not really experimental. It doesn't change the wheel or anything, but I love Mr. Speed. It'll always have a place in my heart. Yeah, I I, I juggled a few songs off of this. One, I'm not going to lie. Calling Dr. Love, Hard Luck Woman, and Baby Driver were actually a couple of the ones that were, you know, be listed for me on this one here because i mean baby driver's a, a baby driver's a, a great song yeah it's a great song see if baby driver was one of the ones deep cuts that they pulled out live i'm like i'm i'm down with this here but again i am sold by kiss unplugged i ended up going with i want you Ooh, and, and that is the the unplugged version's better than this one too. oh it, it absolutely is but i love the that just that change from like the quiet Paul Stanley acoustic guitar thing, and then all of a sudden it just hits you. Like it's not it's not like a power ballad or anything. It's literally like I'm gonna like lull you into this nice little melody, and then I'm literally gonna kick you in the junk with Gene Simmons' Demon Boots because that's how hard it hits you. Yep, it's true. It's and they do. There's a lot of songs that are like that too. That they almost fool you into a false sense of security before just cranking everything up. Yeah, no, and it's it reminds me a little bit of like some of the Scorpions earlier ballads and how, you know, again, they'd have these great little melodies, but then they hit you hard as well. And it just goes to show like the diversity in the songwriting. Yeah. And you can tell that there's uh, there's a lot of attempts by Kiss. One thing they're not is complacent. 
they will go and try anything and throw stuff at the wall. Sometimes it sticks, sometimes it doesn't. But I think the success rate is better than people give them credit for. Oh, and the fact that they are not afraid to change their sound with the times of popular music. I mean, obviously, you know, there's something to be said for, you know, sticking to what makes you you. But I mean, you're going to be influenced. I mean, even you take a look at Rush's discography, right? There are very definite and distinctive eras of Rush. You know, you had the very proggy early days. You had the synth-heavy 80s. You had the, you know, bit more growl to it, you know, counterparts era moving forward. So, like, you have different eras of Rush. You also have very different eras of Kiss. Oh, yeah. And the sound is so immediately noticeable of those not not even just in the simple things like the the subject matter or like the volume or how hard they go how gruff they are but in the mixing of it all the production of it all is so vastly different to try to make the sound different that it's it's good it's nice to see a band that when they're going to experiment they dive right in there is no holding back all right we're throwing everything we have at this and we'll get we're getting into it soon when they really start to go off the track and take different paths. It's like a choose your own adventure book with kiss. <laughs> I'm trying to picture that now the kiss. Great. You realize it has Gene, to exist. Yeah. That it saying, has to exist. Gene Simmons is now listening. It's going, we've never done a choose your own adventure book. We now need I a don't kiss choose your own adventure book. There is 100% a Gene Simmons in like the marsh of the damned or something. Choose your own adventure. I will not, would not be surprised. I would be more surprised if it didn't exist. No, no, they need to make the Choose Your Own Adventure album. Oh, that's a cool concept. Right? Like, basically have it as a concept album, and you choose which song you go to next, and that's the way the story kind of plays out, and it's different every time you listen to it. Oh, crap, I just gave I love a, that idea. I just gave somebody a new idea. Okay, yeah. let's move on to Love Gun, released June 30th, 1977. The album hit number four in the U.S. and is platinum there. There were two singles off of this one. Christine 16 was the highest charting hit number 25 in the U.S. Rob went with Christine 16. Jason and Brian both went with Love Gun. Sonny went with I Stole Your Love, and Tom went with Got Love for Sale. There's a lot of love on this album here. Uh, a lot of love. So off of Love Gun, what did you go with? So I went with kind of a sleeper pick. I went with Hooligan. Hooligan is a very good song. Again, it's another one that was on the hockey playlist. But this is a weird album for me. I think there's a lot of good and a lot of stuff that's kind of overrated. I never understood the Christine 16 thing. Like, it's good, but it's a very simple song compared to some of the other stuff on here. Uh, Shock Me is really good as well. That was a contender for me. And of course, Love Gun is a classic and the coolest song to see them play live because that's the one where uh, Paul Stanley goes out onto uh, basically a harness and goes out above the arena and is like firing a firework guitar gun off into the crowd. It's crazy. But uh, Hooligan, I think, is the better song. Love Gun may have really good theatrics, but Hooligan is the better song. Yeah. See, I ended up going with the theatrics. I went with Love Gun. And I'll, I'll be honest, like coming off of albums like Rock and Roll Over, I, I found this album to be not as full as some of their previous albums. It's, you know, there were some good songs on there, but everything, at least to me, paled in comparison to Love Gun. But I mean, you know, you're x number of albums in and all of a sudden like now you're starting to get the you know everyone's allowed that one album that doesn't necessarily hit i don't think love gun is that album but i don't think it was as strong as the previous outings no i think you can definitely tell there's a little bit of fatigue it's like it, it look at the cover it even is kind of reminiscent of destroyer 
it's the four of them standing on top of a pillar, like kind of the spotlight on them, just kind of in their poses. And it does. It feels like the same old fair. They hadn't really started experimenting with much stuff yet. This was the, the jumping off point to think of, OK, what comes next? Yeah. And of course, this was the album that came out before the four solo albums, which came out in 1978, which we're not going to touch because at some point uh, we'll have to end the podcast. But no, we're going yeah, to gotta sleep tonight, <laughs> but we're going to skip those four albums. And we're going to go next to Dynasty released May 23rd, 1979. The album hit number nine in the U.S. and number one in the Netherlands. It is platinum in the U.S., Australia, New Zealand and the Netherlands and double platinum in Canada. There were two singles off of this one. I Was Made For Loving You was the highest charting hit number 11 in the US and number one in Canada and New Zealand. Now this is another one where there's a lot of different choices off of this one here. Both Rob Murphy and Sonny Pooney went with Sure Know Something. Jason Palladino went with Magic Touch. Brian Colbert went with I Was Made For Loving You and Tom went with Charisma. So off of Dynasty, what did you go with? So... This is a very hard choice because my brain says I was made for loving you because that is just an amazing song. But Jason X-Ray Eyes on this out, that is an underrated, another underrated Kiss song. I think that's up there with Sweet Pain for one of their most underrated X-Ray Eyes. It's a great song. That was the honorable mention, though. I did go with I was made for loving you. Yeah, it's that song gets better with age. And I remember hearing it on the Alive 3 album and there there was there was some extra hair on the balls on on that live performance and it it really kind of brought a, a a next level to that song and you know kiss doing disco you know the, this is where you have to think that the disco shark was jumped entirely but the song still holds but it's not my pick i'm a bassist i'm a sucker for a good bass groove so i got to go with sure no something and again I feel like I'm just picking everything off of Kiss Unplugged. But again, this is one of those songs that translated so well in in both on this album and in a live setting. How did I know that coming into this, you would be picking a lot of Gene songs, a lot of bass heavy songs? I knew this was going to happen. Well, you know, what's funny, though. When it comes to the vocals, I'm admittedly I'm a Paul guy. But some of the songs because of the, the the fact that they're written around the bass, it, it it's like the song catches me, but the vocals I appreciate more out of Paul Stanley. Honestly, this is one of those, like you could pick either of them and I think they're both equally great. I could never pick a favorite between Paul and Gene because they just have such different vocal styles. You've got Cold Gin, which is a great like Gene song song. Of course, Paul, all the high notes, everything that he can do. But this is a really good example of, I was made for loving you. The one I picked was a really good example because it has a good rumble. A lot of these songs on this album have a really good bass rumble underneath them, especially when you hear them live. Oh yeah. And I think too, when you take a look at the dynamics and vocals between Paul and Gene, this is where you're going to start to get those comparisons to the Beatles, you know, cause you had Paul McCartney songs and you had John Lennon songs. And while the vocals weren't, entirely different there was definitely a different vibe to when paul would sing a song versus when john would sing a song you get the same thing here you get a different vibe when paul stanley sings a song versus one where gene simmons sings a song but at the end of the day it's still kiss and that's what makes kiss yeah and that's it's it's the sum of its parts there's not one thing about kiss you can point to and go that's what made them famous a lot of people will say the face paint but it's not like we said it's this 
mixture of a bunch of things that are done really, really well in a perfect package. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think I'm really, you know, treading on unfamiliar ground here when I sit there and say, you could, you could make an argument that Kiss is America's Beatles. Yeah, I wouldn't. It's them. And I think another contender would be CCR. I, you, at their time yes i i could see where you where one would think that maybe the eagles as well but i i think a, an argument can be made from just the similarities in the songwriting oh, yeah. and you know the vocal duties being handled by pretty much everybody um there's definitely an argument to be made no argument here is moving on to the 80s and Unmasked, released May 20th of 1980. The album hit number 35 in the U.S. and number one in New Zealand and Norway. The album is platinum in Australia and New Zealand and gold in the U.S. and Canada. There were three singles off of this one. Shandy charted at number 47 in the U.S. And again, another album with a lot of different picks off of here. Rob Murphy went with Shandy. Jason Palladino went with Torpedo Girl. Brian Colburn went with Naked City. Sonny Pooney went with Easy As It Seems, and Tom Giliotti went with Is That You. So off of Unmasked, are you going with one of those five picks, or are you going on your own? I'm going on my own with one of my personal favorite Kiss songs, Two Sides of the Coin. Ooh. Two Sides of the Coin to choose from. That is such a good song. Uh, that was the other deep cut that they played live when I saw them live, and it felt like it was just for me because they only played two the deep cuts in parentheses. I don't know if any kiss is a deep cut because of their fan base, but they played two sides of the coin. And I remember the two friends that I was with turned to me because they knew I loved the song so much. And that was a really cool moment. But uh, I think this is one of their best songs, period. I think it's just buried kind of in the descent into madness that was unmasked because after this stuff starts to go a little crazy. And uh, I don't know how it got lost to time and how it did not get released as a single. I think that's a huge mistake. I think this could have been huge if it was. I love two sides of the coin. So that's six people and six different song picks. But now we're going to go seven for seven because I'm going to go with the song Tomorrow. Tomorrow? That's a good one. You know what? That is, I don't think I have it as an honorable mention, but when I listened through it again, I hadn't heard it for a while and I sat and really listened to that one in the middle of it going, this is good. Yeah. Like, like it's, it's different, but it's good. Yeah, no, it's got that big chorus to it. And that's one of the things I've always loved about kiss is that they, they are almost the Kings of a big sing along chorus. It's, it's one of the main reasons why, you know, bands like marvelous three, uh, really, you know, t- tickle the eardrums for me because, you know, it's good songwriting, but when you get to the chorus, it's a big chorus. And I think Tomorrow is one of those songs that I think surprised me off this one. Like, when I was looking at the album list, I'm like, okay, uh, Unmasked is probably going to be Shandy, but I'm going to listen to the album just to give it its, you know, due diligence. And as I'm going through, I'm like, this is actually a decent album. And then Tomorrow hits, like, holy crap, why didn't they, you know, why wasn't this song out out there? Seriously. There's a lot of instances of that in in other albums as we go forward that you think, why wasn't this one of the because it's better than the single they released. I two sides of the coin, I think, is the best song in this album. I don't understand how that wasn't a single. Yeah, I think history in hindsight will take a look at Unmasked. And I, I, I think 
look at it very favorably. I think the songwriting on it, you know, despite everything that the band was going through at the time, I think the songwriting on it does stand the test of time. But now we get to, yeah, now we get to one of the harder albums to listen to. Music from the Elder, released November 16th, 1981. We have a member change. Eric Carr is now on drums. The album hit number 75 in the U.S. and it's gold in Australia. There were three singles off of this one. A World Without Heroes was the highest charting. It hit number 56 in the U.S. Now, Rob went with The Oath. Brian Colburn went with I. Sonny Pooney went with Escape from the Island. And Tom went with Mr. Blackwell. So from Kiss Does a Concept album, what did you go with? I went from Escape from the Island because it didn't have lyrics and it was very instrumental. It, it was my favorite one because it wasn't too complicated and way out there for the sake of being way out there like everything else was yeah it's i had that song as as my as my b-side if you will but again i'm i'm a sucker for kiss unplugged so when they did a world without heroes at that show i was like what the hell is this song it's so good and then you realize it's from music from the elder it's like maybe i'm misjudging this album and then you go and listen to it. It's like, I did not misjudge this album. This album, yeah. But, but A World Without Heroes, to me, does still stand out as a song that, you know, even off that album, I think that song would stand up on many of their other albums. I think it would if it was on one of the other albums. But the fact it's almost guilty by association, if that makes any sense, because this this just was a misstep. The album was a misstep. It kind of lost a lot of what they even when they changed dramatically later on, they still keep the same musical tone, even though it's changed a bit. This was far. It was orchestral and it was like it was really, really big and they took a big shot, but they, they didn't hit it. Yeah, Kiss is not necessarily the band I think of when I think of concept albums. You know, concept presentation, absolutely. Uh, Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park, why not? You know, it, it makes sense, especially when you think about Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park. It makes sense that Kiss would try their hand at a concept album. And I, I, I don't think it's a horrible swing. I just think the presentation didn't live up to... Because you put out concept albums and you're going to be compared to a lot of, you know, Quadrophenia and The Wall and, you know, some of the, the better concept albums. And even ones that came afterwards, like Operation Mindcrime uh, or even Alice Cooper's Brutal Planet, which I think is a stellar album. Concept albums are a hard swing because other albums have done it and done it so much better. And it doesn't matter how good you do a concept album you are going to have a good chunk of your fan base that isn't going to be on board just because it isn't the same old, yeah. which is awful and not a good thing. People should be open-minded. And when the band says we're going to make something completely weird, wacky and different, you should be excited and like kind of support it through because maybe it'll lead to something great, but there will be a huge part of the fan base that just says, Nope, not touching it. Well, when you realize that this album is two years removed from Kisco's disco, and that that's a big jump over two years. Yeah, huge. We now move on to Creatures of the Night, released October 1982. The album hit number 45 in the U.S. and gold in the U.S. There were three singles off of this one. I Love It Loud hit number 102 in the U.S. Now, this song got picked a lot. Rob, Jason Palladino, and my lovely wife Carrie ended up picking I Love It Loud. 
Brian and Sonny went with I Still Love You, and Tom went with Rock and Roll Hell. So off of Creatures of the Night, what did you go with? I went, this is one of the heavier Kiss albums, and I went with one of the heavier songs. I went with War Machine, just because it's, it's a fun listen, and when you see videos of it live, it's incredible. It's another one that really lends to the theatrics, and uh, I just think it's it's good on a really heavy album, and I love Creatures of the Night because of the, the bump up in volume a little bit. Uh, War Machine sticks out for me. I was so, so torn with this album. Because on the one hand, and again, leaning on Kiss Unplugged, I, I, I unashamedly promote that album all the time. Uh, I Still Love You was so good. And I think I Still Love You is maybe Paul Stanley's best vocal performance on any Kiss album. Wow, that's that's big talk. It's, it's, it's a phenomenal vocal performance. I mean, we are talking someone who was the Phantom of the Opera for a while in Toronto, but, you know, like, I still love you. His vocals on that slay. People don't give him enough credit. I really don't think people give Stanley enough credit for how much range he has. And it is one of those songs that shows that off. This whole album really kind of shows it off. All of them do. You springboard back and forth between, like, power ballads and like really rumbly gravelly rock song it's 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 incredible how they do gymnastics through each one of these albums oh yeah and i i think his vocals actually got better you know in the 80s and the 90s like it's surprising how well his voice held up but i'm i'm not gonna go with i still love you as much as i love that song i can't ignore how good creatures of the night actually is like again one of those songs that was sold to me from uh, kiss alive three and I maybe it's the Bruce Kulick guitar performance on that live performance, but that's what sold the song for me and still sells it. Like Creatures of the Night is such a banger of a song. It is. There's a lot of bangers on here that, again, didn't chart, didn't get released as singles, but this is a pretty good no filler. Getting back into the right territory here. One of the best ones since Destroyer in the timeline yeah it almost felt like the overreaction to music from the elders like oh you didn't like yeah. that all right we're gonna give you exactly what you think you want and then they kicked they kicked ass on this album yeah it was a course correction of a very hard variety and it was done the right way we now move on to september 1983 and the release of lick it up we have another member change vinnie vincent is now on guitar the album hit number 24 in the u.s it is platinum in the u.s and gold in canada there were two singles off of this one lick it up hit number 66 in the u.s they were nominated at the mtv vmas in 1984 for best cinematography in a video for the video all hell's breaking loose However, they lost to Every Breath You Take by the Police. Rob Murphy went with A Million to One. Jason and Brian went with Lick It Up. Sonny went with A Million to One. And Tom went with Young and Wasted. So off of Lick It Up, what did you go with? I went with Lick It Up, Jason, but I have a very sad confession to make. Oh? No Makeup 80s Kiss is my favorite kiss. This kiss going forward, two and three albums, is my favorite generation era of kiss and i know a lot of people just just turned off whatever they were listening <laughs> to us on but hear me out this is turning into an episode of it's not that bad because i'm telling you this going forward is my favorite version of kiss and lick it up is an amazing kick the door down to that era of kiss a lot of songs on here are great all hell's breaking loose is my honorable mention another really good one is on the eighth day 
that's an incredible song too but lick it up is a classic that is absolutely in the pantheon of kiss songs see i i don't disagree with the no makeup era of kiss i i did actually enjoy a lot of the songs and i think that you know as as we get to those albums i think bruce kulik was the special sauce that was needed coming out of the the post ace fraley era i think bruce kulik was a phenomenal phenomenal guitarist and songwriter uh this album however like re-listening to this album I, I wasn't as thrilled with this album as I was with Creatures of the Night. I will say, though, that I ended up going with a million to one because that song does still stand out for me. But coming off of Creatures of the Night, this this album, as much as it might be revered for, you know, the change, the the, the going without makeup, the Vinnie Vincent's guitar work, sure, but the songwriting does, didn't scream as much as Creatures of the Night did. I will say the songs are much simpler. It is a very much a 80s rock album, very simple lyrics, double entendres to the entire thing. And man, I bet you if you lit a match in the room where that album cover was taken, it would blow the entire wall off the building with the amount of hairspray that is on that album cover. Very different look. This was the first Kiss album I actually got my hands on. Uh, when I heard them, I heard Shout Out Loud first, and then I kind of started digging. And this is just the first album that came up when I was doing my LimeWire search at the time and it stuck with me. That's what I think that might be part of why uh, this is my favorite era. I can, I can see that. Um, but I, again, like this, this album, you're right. It is a bit more simplistic in songwriting. Um, oh yes. But, but I think that that's maybe what kind of holds it though. Cause the, there's songs that, you know, not to, not to dismiss anything that Vinnie Vincent brought to the, to the, to the band but there's songs that are more easily accessible to the beginner guitar player that's true lick it up one of the easier songs to play and that's never a bad thing because you know people are going to want to sit down and learn those songs and they, they, they'll they go over well so i don't know maybe it's it's simplicity by design and if that's the case then mission well accomplished sometimes i think simplicity is said to be a bad thing but if you look at some of the biggest bands of all time like acdc is the one that obviously comes to mind man if it's not broke sometimes the simplest formula can get you pretty far well time to move on to 1984 and animalize released in september of that year another member changed now mark st john on guitar for this album the album hit number 19 in the u.s and is platinum in the u.s and canada there were two singles off of this one heavens on fire hit number 49 in the u.s now rob went with thrills in the night jason and brian both went with heavens on fire sunny went with i've had enough and tom went with burn bitch burn now I remember this album because I have talked about on this podcast before about growing up the little stereo corner with the chair there and going through my mother's albums and this was the first Kiss album I ever listened to because it was the one that she had in her collection so you know I have fond memories of this album but then going back and listen to it now I'm like maybe not the best album but I still have fond memories of sitting in that chair with the headphones on and the record player on and and just kind of losing myself in the music. Um, So for me, off of this album, it's Heavens on Fire. But what did you go with? I also went with Heavens on Fire because it is just such a banger of a song. 
I love the guitar change up on this one. I think she, I think that one of the better fill-ins for a band that wasn't part of the original lineup that is most certainly kind of lost to history. Not one of the bands, not one of the members of the band you think of when you think of Kiss. Oh but yeah, man. Did he when he was there? Did he ever put a stamp on his time? Because I love this album, cover to cover. Lonely is the Hunter, also amazing. Under the Gun, Thrills in the Night. You could pick a lot of these and I would not be upset. But Heavens on Fire is too good to not be the pick. We now move on to Asylum, released September 16th, 1985. And yet another guitarist change, Bruce Kulick is now on guitar. The album hit number 20 in the U.S. and is gold in U.S. and Canada. There was only one single off of this one, Tears Are Falling, hit number 51 in the U.S. Rob went with Who Wants to Be Lonely. Jason went with Trial by Fire. Brian went with King of the Mountain. Sonny went for, with Radar for Love. And Tom went with Secretly Cruel. And again, another five shout-outs and five different songs. So off of the first Bruce Kulick-era album, what do you have off Asylum? We're going six for six because I went with Uh All Night. One of the few double entendre songs I love. Reminds me a lot of the Ball Breaker, ACDC kind of thing. Uh, one that's written, but written where it's almost funny. And you can tell they kind of lean into it, which I love about that song. So it's a bit of a different pick for this one. This whole album is a little bit of a, a skew to a different direction. One of the more forgotten in time Kiss albums. People don't think of Asylum when they think of Kiss very much. But I think it's good. There's a lot of songs on here that are better than they're given any right to. But I went with All, All Night. See, I end up going with Who Wants to Be Lonely. And again, it's one of those things where the album not only does it showcase you know Bruce Kulick but it really showcases Paul Stanley's vocals on this whole album and I think that's why I was kind of drawn to it because you know growing up Paul Stanley was one of my favorite vocalists of all time and you know it makes sense when you when you realize that you know some of my favorite bands include bands like Queensryche you know the vocal gymnastics that Paul Stanley was able to do but I think Who Wants to Be Lonely also had that almost dramatic flair to the song as well that they were starting to really get into in this 80s era. And a lot of uh, the vocal gymnastics, like you said, there's so many pitch changes, sustained notes where he's going all over the place like a roller coaster. You hit it right on the head. Like for an album that is forgotten, it, it really showcases his talents quite well. We now move on to September 1987 and the release of Crazy Nights. The album hit number 18 in the U.S. and is platinum in the U.S. and Canada. There were three singles off of this one. The highest charting was actually Reason to Live, which hit number 64 in the U.S. Now, Rob and Brian both went with Crazy Crazy Nights. Tom and Jason went with Hell or High Water. And Sonny went with Reason to Live. So off of Crazy Nights, what did you go with? Oh, I'm going to get hate for this too, but I have the vinyl of this album and it's Turn On The Night. Turn On The Night is my favorite song from this. Another one, I think it's underrated. I think this is No Makeup Kiss, maybe at their best after Animalize. This and Animalize are sister albums to me. There was just kind of a forgettable one in between, but uh, really cover to cover, that style at the time that they had, this was perfected here, I think. See, I'm going to go with a with a, a deep pick off of this one here and a song that has not been mentioned yet. I'm going to go with I'll Fight Hell to Hold You. That is a good song, too. Oh, it's such a good song. And again, it kind of fits that the more dramatic writing that they were doing with the songs like Who Wants to Be Lonely. And there was that era 
right? When you, when you think about like, you know, 85, 87, and of course this is when Queensrack is starting to come up as well too with, with Rage for Order and Operation Mindcrime, I was really getting into more dramatic rock and songs like I'll Fight Hell to Hold You with, again, phenomenal Paul Stanley vocals, uh, great, great dramatic riffs and, and chord progressions. Like this song was hitting on all cylinders for me at that time and still does today. I, I, as soon as you said it, that's what I thought of the chorus when he hits the high note of I'll fight hell. Like it's, he puts emotion into it. You can hear the emotion coming out of a minute. Oh yeah. And like just the little buildups coming in and out of the, the chorus, like, ah, oh, so good. So same reason good. I love turn on the night because they have that. You got what you want. I got what like it. They crescendo it up to the chorus. Yeah. Like you said earlier. Yeah. The pre-chorus is, is for pre-choruses and bridges to, to stand out. That's, to me, always a, a hook. I, I, I've just un- told you how to unlock my uh, my picks there. Good pre-chorus, good hook, and awesome bridge. Now we move on to an album that means a hell of a lot to me. Hot in the Shade, released October 17th, 1989. The album hit number one, 29 in the U.S., sorry. Uh, gold in the U.S. and platinum in Canada. There were three singles off of this one. Forever hit number eight in the U.S. Rob went with Little Caesar. Jason and Brian went with Forever. And Sonny and Tom both went with You Love Me to Hate You. So let me explain why this album means a lot to me here. So this is the first concert i ever went to by myself first concert i ever went to was krista berg's men on the line tour but my mom took me to that one but by myself this tour with winger and slaughter opening at the ottawa civic center and i was right on the rail so when that's you were Oh yeah. my God, right on the rail. And then when that Sphinx head opens up with the lasers coming out and the band hits and you feel the fire pots and like this, this was my first concert, you know, like me by myself, no one else. I'm going to this show. This, this was that, that moment. And like, I remember like, again, like right on the rail and it was so good. And I remember too, like, you know, trying to push back everyone who was trying to squeeze up the front. And uh, like Mark Slaughter, when Slaughter was on, like, you know, saw me kind of pushing everyone back. It's like, are you okay? Yep. Okay, good. No problem. Like, oh my God, Mark Slaughter recognized me. He saw me. Yeah, that was cool. But yeah, like that, for that to be my first concert experience was like by myself was still to this day seared in my mind. But then around this time, I also got my first bass guitar, bought it off of, uh, one of my fellow students who was in, you know, in high school with me in orchestra class and bought this bass guitar off of him. It's a profile four string beater that I still have to this day that has played more shows than I care to admit. The pickups are rusted. The strings are, you know, I can't believe it's actually still held together. At one point it was being held together by duct tape and an Allen key because the hole was stripped for the... And I remember like the strap came off, but sitting down with this bass, with a copy of Guitar Magazine and the tabs out of those, those magazines, sitting down and learning, teach myself how to play forever on that bass, my first bass, after seeing them, my first concert by myself, this album, I don't care what anyone says, this album has a special place in my heart because of all the memories attached to it. And I think that's awesome because... That's what's great about a band like Kiss that has so many airs and has so many albums. 
you can defend yours variantly because it means so much to you. You know what I mean? It, when they have this many errors, you can pick that one and go, no, no, that's mine. It's almost like your hockey team. I'm going to defend this on my hill with my life. You know what I mean? And that's amazing. Oh, yeah. So forever for me off of this album, I don't care that Michael Bolton co-wrote it. It's a great song. And even the video, too, like stylistically, um, you know, you have the sunlight come in, yet the band itself was black and white. Like it, it was a well done video. It, it Honestly, I, I cannot gush about this era of Kiss for me because this was when they really snagged me. And then the deep dive started from there. And that's always fun when you find your jumping on point. And that always ends up staying your favorite. Wherever you discovered the band, that will always hold the special place in your heart. Oh, yeah. So off of Hot in the Shade, what did you go with? I went with Forever. Because even though, like you said, co-written by Michael Bolton, that you can hear it. But that's not a bad thing. I think it's incredible. Uh, this album is a little bit one of the forgettable ones. I think it's with there with Asylum with ones that people don't jump into their minds. When you say Kiss, you don't think, oh, Hot in the Shade. But this song is amazing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We now move on to Revenge, released May 19th, 1992. We have another member change here. Eric Singer is now on drums following the death of Eric Carr. The album hit number six in the U.S. and is gold in the U.S. and Canada. There were five singles off of this one. God Gave Rock and Roll to You 2 hit number 26 on the U.S. rock charts. Rob went with Domino. Jason and Brian both went with I Just Wanna. Sonny went with Heart of Chrome, and Tom went with Unholy. So off of Revenge, what did you go with? First of all, respect to whoever picked I Just Wanna, because that was my runner-up, and I was like, there's nobody that's going to pick that. But I went with Domino. Uh, Domino is one of their most endearing songs to me now. It's one of the Kiss songs I enjoy most to go back and listen to at this stage. And the honorable mention, God Gave Rock and Roll to You too. This is another one. Revenge is a really good album that people don't give credit. And I, I'm a little surprised that no one went with Every Time I Look at You, because when you think about Big Kiss Ballads, that song was so well done. It was. And this is another one of those albums where they do a lot of gymnastics, jumping back and forth from different styles and different uh, genres almost. But they do really well in everything they try to do. Yeah, but I, I can't disagree. I, I absolutely have to go with Domino because, again, it, it's... It's one of those fun songs and one of those times where Gene really kind of sits in the pocket and just has so much fun with it. But yeah. I, again, this was another one of those albums that I played the absolute crap out of. Like, I'm sure I killed many, many batteries on my tape deck with this album. And it was it's just it's, it's a great pick. Like you being able to learn this as it was coming out. Like, this is why I say I was born in the wrong era, because to be a kid or like even a teenager learning the music as it's coming out, when this stuff was coming out, must have been a whole nother level. Just oh. to know that everything coming out at the time was quality. It didn't really matter what you picked. It was probably going to be good. Oh, it was, loved that era. And, you know, and of course, this is too, when much music was playing actual music. Music. You know? Yeah, so like, that that's how we discovered so many bands and there were so many good bands that were getting exposure on on stations like much music i i, I cannot and will not ever uh downplay the impact that that had on my music education growing up and i will say on the subject of domino the alive three version of it is the one you should listen to oh the live three just listen to that whole album yes oh, that so is the best alive in my mind just a, a side note on the alive series three I, is my favorite it's a controversial opinion but i'll back you up on that one because the live three I, I, 
again, the Bruce Kulick era of Kiss was yep. so solid. Better than people realize it was. Like I said, from Lick It Up in 83 until right 10 years later, that is a prime era of Kiss. Oh, yeah. And the fact that Bruce Kulick still uh, does appearances on like the Kiss Cruise with his own band that kind of does that era of Kiss, um, it's so good. I would love to be on the Kiss Cruise to see that performance. I just love to be on the Kiss Cruise. I've heard, I've, I follow the Instagram accounts and I watch it along when they happen, and it looks like so much fun. We now move on to the last album of the Bruce Kulick era, Carnival of Souls, The Final Sessions, released October 28th, 1997. The album hit number 27 in the U.S. There was one single off of this one, Jungle, hit number eight on the U.S. rock charts. Brian went with Jungle and Sonny and Tom both went with Hate. This is a bit of a different album tonally, but what did you go with off of Carnival of Souls? I went with Jungle, but going back and listening to this, they sound tired almost. I don't know what it is. But this is this is one of the albums where they kind of miss for me. There's not much else on here except for Jungle and in my head. When I went back and listened to it, it all kind of bled together. There was nothing quite as memorable. See, if this was the album that was supposed to be the follow up for Revenge, and keep in mind too, like this album was kind of tossed out there. It wasn't really like promoted because when you think about it, you know, short uh, after Revenge. Uh, they did the unplugged and they had like Peter and Ace appear there. And then, of course, they decided to announce that the original lineup was going to get back together. And I guess this was the album that they that Bruce and Eric were working on with, you know, with uh, Peter or with Paul and Gene at with the time. With their kind of roster. Yeah, exactly. But when you think about it, too. If they're working on this album around the time of like Alice in Chains and grunge and whatnot, then it makes sense that this was kind of the direction they were going to go because that's the way the music scene was going to go. And when you realize that Kiss is one of those more chameleon bands that will that will change with the times because that means that they're still out there and relevant it makes sense that an album like Carnival of Souls will come out because it has that dirtier, grungier kind of feel to it. It does. And even in the album cover, it looks like a grunge album cover. It does not. If the Kiss logo wasn't there, you'd never convince me. If I, if you were just a lay person that wasn't into the band, you know what I mean? And you know what? A grunge version of Kiss, maybe that would work. I think Gene Simmons could pull off some grunge songs. Oh, I it, think he's got the voice for it. I think it was definitely going to be a very Gene-heavy album. Uh, yes. There were two songs that I had written down here, and I literally left it to a um, a, co- a coin toss in the moment here. Uh, I had Master and Slave written down, uh, but I also had I Will Be There. And the thing with I Will Be There is it reminds me a lot of, and we'll go back to the Def Leppard episode that, that you joined in on as well, um, from the inside, from the retroactive album and how it had almost that Celtic kind of feel. Um, so for this one, I'm actually going to do my coin toss and I'm going to go with I Will Be There because I, I think it, it doesn't... Go back and listen to it. If you like more a more Celtic feel guitar to it, that song surprises you a little bit. And it just goes to show that even in this album where it was quite literally not not an afterthought but it was a bunch of people who were leaving and they knew that that there's still some quality and still some experimentation going on even though they know that hey this might be our last rip at it but we're not going to stop creating you know which is good oh yeah it 
I think if more time was given to the album, I think the album could have, could have been really, really good. But of course, they went into a different direction. That direction, of course, being Psycho Circus, released September 22nd, 1998. The original lineup is back with Paul, Gene, Peter, and Ace reunited, and it feels so good. The album hit number three in the U.S. and number one in Australia and Sweden. It is gold in the U.S., Sweden, and Canada. There were four singles off of this one. Psycho Circus hit number one on the U.S. rock charts. The song was actually nominated for Best Hard Rock Performance at the 1999 Grammys and lost to Most High from Jimmy Page and Robert Plant. And I guess if you're going to lose, you might as well lose to yeah. Jimmy Page and Robert <laughs> Plant. Brian went with Psycho Circus. Sonny and Tom both went with I Pledge Allegiance. So off of Psycho Circus, what did you go with? You wanted the best is what I went with. I think it's great when artists put songs on their album that is directly talking to their fan base about something that's happened in the band. And I think it's great that they made a whole song about, okay, you talked about it for so long. Here we are. Let's do it. I think it's awesome. But obviously psycho circus, I pledge allegiance. All are good. This is a great album Uh, for a band that at this point is this old has not had their original lineup together. This could have easily kind of just been, yeah, well, we waited for it. It's good. It's serviceable and they'll continue to, but they really, I think came back here with this. Yeah. And the fact that it was, the full lineup you know right now you've got people that are going to see guns and roses but it's not the full original guns and roses lineup and while it's still great to see you know axel slash and duff all back together again you know to have steven and and izzy stradlin up there with them would have been would have been phenomenal but this this was that moment this was that 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 moment where the original four got back together and it was such a big thing i will say though that psycho circus is one of the worst videos i think kiss has ever put out i think it looked <laughs> horrible um i ended up going with a bit of a deep cut on this one i ended up going with dreaming and i think it's one of those oh, wow. songs yeah it's one of those songs that really kind of hit me out of left field because it's it's such a good song And it's one of the ones, especially on this album, that's much more toned down compared to this is a very loud album, more so than some of the other things, even with the imagery, the album cover, uh, the awful video, you're correct. It's it's very crazy in your face. Look, we're back. And that is kind of one that's subdued down there a bit. Yeah. And again, this is one of those songs where the chorus and the harmonies all hit me on this one. I I will say Psycho Circus is a phenomenal album all the way through. I I think, you know, if you're going to put out an album with your original lineup, this is how you do it. And the fact that it is such a tonal shift away from what they were doing with Carnival of Souls, maybe it was the right choice to do at the time, but uh, this album has some, some straight up killer songs on it. And they, it, it's ingrained into their culture. You wanted the best. They play that at the beginning of every show they do. Like this album very much laid the groundwork for some of the theatrical side of things moving forward. Oh, yeah. And you could start any show with either Psycho Circus or You Wanted the Best, and it would be a phenomenal concert opener. Yes. I th- I don't, I'm not sure if they do it every show, but on the show that I saw, they opened up with you wanted the best and it was awesome because you know the fans wanted us to play everybody was into it it was really cool and you had all four people singing on this one like not a lot of bands will sit there and say no everyone gets to sing like they had no problem with that whatsoever which is good because i love the baton passing almost when a band does do this and everybody gets their little spotlight i think it's really cool that this this album is was surprising when i went back to it of how much quality was there 
We now move on to a completely different era of Kiss and <laughs> Sonic Boom, released October 6, 2009. Another lineup change here. Peter and Ace are now out, Eric Singer is back on drums, and Tommy Thayer is now on guitar. The album hit number two in the U.S. There were three singles off of this one. Modern Day Delilah hit number 34 on the U.S. rock charts. Brian, Sonny, and Tom all went with Modern Day Delilah, as did I. That song is so good, but I think it's one of those things where they they kind of spoiled the listener because that's the first song on the album and everything else on the album paled in comparison to that track. Yeah, and I picked Modern Day Delilah as well because the exact same reason. I, it would have been a real shame if this was the last studio album they came out with. I'm not sure if our next entry is going to be that, but that's as I said. After, you know, obviously at this point the band was getting older, the people were getting older, so you knew the original releases are going to get farther apart. But this one was really hyped up. I remember when this out, this is the Kiss album that came out my first uh, year of high school. And I remember how hyped up it was. And I remember the disappointment as well. And that's the thing, too. Like, obviously, there's a, there's a want to put out when, you, when you've got a lineup. There's a want to put out an album, right? And the t- enough time had passed since Psycho Circus, you know, to, to get another one out there. You know, you're looking at like 11 years out and Tommy Thayer you know and Eric Singer both have earned their place they 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 don't have to justify what they do for nothing like they they are as much a part of the band as everyone else that we have talked about so far in this episode and this was the lineup that I saw yeah they were incredibly entertaining oh yeah no like they deserve to have this lineup memorialized with original material and I think it's great and we may be getting to the the last album next but if it is it's not a bad one we're talking about monster released october 9th 2012 the album hit number three in the u.s there were two singles off of this one hell or hallelujah hit number 36 on the u.s rock charts brian went with hell or hallelujah and both sunny and tom went with take me down below so off of monster what did you go with off of Monster, this was one of the harder ones that just pick one song I picked out of this world, but wall of sound, hell or hallelujah back to the stone age. Long way down is great. Eat your heart out. Uh, I really think that this for their last and maybe last, maybe last period, but for the last album they just put out, I think this is an incredible album for a band that is this old and that is still, you know, touring, semi touring. They're on their last tour ever in quotations, but this is incredible. I loved it. It came out when I was in grade 11. So I was the perfect age for, for what it was. And it was just, I I think that this holds up as one of their better albums of all time. See, for me, this, there's a a lot of songs on here where it felt like this was them trying to say goodbye. Like, Like they were trying to signal that this was going to be the last album. You know, you you think about a song like last chance, you know, it, it feels like, the last album for me though. And as much as I love Paul Stanley's vocals and I have no problem with Gene's vocals, I'm going to go with Eric Singer's vocals for the last one. I'm going to go with all for the love of rock and roll. Oh, that's a great pick actually. Yeah. Like great pick. Very anthemic. Like, and it feels like, uh, uh, again, it feels almost retrospective in nature. And you can tell he put a ton of emotion into it. That one recording of it they have on there 
it it is it stands out because his voice is much different but it's it's really really good that's a solid pick yeah no it's you really can't go wrong with a lot of these albums but yeah i I was surprised at how good eric singer's vocals were and you know kudos to him and eric singer's had a a wonderful career you know playing with alice cooper playing with kiss like really and and he's also in that that documentary hired guns if you've ever seen the hired guns documentary it is so worth watching like just the musicians behind like the, the the main stars and whatnot and you know when you think Kiss, you don't necessarily immediately think Eric Singer, but when you realize how many good albums he's been on and, you know, the fact that, you know, he's been there since the Revenge days, that's, I'm not even going to do the math because I don't want to count that high because I've already counted almost 50 here. So, um, like, he's definitely earned his place in history, but bar none. I think I completely agree. And for those of you that are keeping score at home, it's 20 year gap between Revenge and Monster. Oh. <sighs> That's that's 20 years in a band. You did the that's math. 20, I did. Because it, it's people still kind of, even when I went to see Kiss, I remember that some of my dad's friends and some of the older people that I knew in my life were like, oh, yeah, that's not real Kiss. And I'm like, is it, though? Like, at this point, when a band has gone through this much change and has had this much sustained success with different members of the band, I think it's almost like Kiss is an entity. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think there's a bad setup and a bad combination of people you could see live at a show that weren't going to absolutely blow your mind yeah i mean for people who are still you know hoping for more music out there no kiss hasn't put any more albums out since monster however paul stanley's soul station released an album in 2021 um like he's got some good songs out there and if you like classic r&b motown now try and picture that with paul stanley's voice it's good it is so good like paul stanley doing tracks of my tears holy crap you if ever anyone wanted to dismiss paul stanley as a singer shut up and listen to paul stanley's soul station it's so so good to me as soon as you know he's been phantom of the opera that puts to bed any kind of like opposition you should have to his singing ability because to do stuff like the fact that he is kiss Phantom of the Opera, he does his solo like that. He could do anything musically, I think. He is an incredible and incredibly underrated singer of a band. There's He doesn't get the respect he deserves, I don't think, with the the other unique vocalists of the time. Oh, yeah. And a very good painter, too. That I didn't know. And there you go. <laughs> All right. So now comes the moment of truth. So, Lyle, let's go through your list again. And then at the end of it, if there can only be one from the songs that you have picked, what song would it be? Okay, so I'm going to take a deep breath for this one. <laughs> 20 albums, I should hope so. I know, crazy. So for Kiss, I went with Strutter. For Hotter Than Hell, I went with Mainline, Dress to Kill, Rock and Roll All Night, Destroyer. Uh, too many to pick, but it's Sweet Pain. Rock and Roll All Over, uh, Mr. Speed, Love Gun, obviously title track is amazing but went with hooligan dynasty another generational bop is obviously i was made for loving you unmasked two sides of the coin music from the elder escape from the island Ugh. creatures of the night war machine lick it up lick it up uh most underrated album animalize heavens on fire obviously asylum uh, all night crazy crazy nights turn on the night hot in the shade I went with actually, 
Out in the shade, I have my two written down here, and I can't remember which one I went with. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm switching my pick. I'm going with Cadillac Dreams. I've got two of them there, but I'm going with Cadillac Dreams. Oh, That's la not the, best the one last anyway. minute Audible. Yeah, the last minute Audible, because I've got the two of them written down, and I forgot about Cadillac Dreams. I didn't mention it, but now I'm like, no, I like that one better. For Revenge, Domino, Carnival of Souls, Jungle, Psycho Circus, you wanted the best. Sonic Boom. Oh, Sonic Boom, this is another one. Jason, I'm sorry I'm doing this, but like, I'm stopping myself up. Modern Day Delilah. No, it's staying with Modern Day Delilah. Monster, Out of This World. And if I had to pick one, if there can only be one, and this is going to be a kind of controversial opinion because I almost didn't do it, but it's Heavens on Fire, Jason. I, I can see. I can see how you would pick that one. All right. So for mine, uh, off of Kiss, I went with Strutter. From Hotter Than Hell, I went with Going Blind. From Dress to Kill, I went with Rock Bottom. Off of Destroyer, I went with God of Thunder. From Rock and Roll Over, I went with I Want You. From Love Gun, I went with Love Gun. From Dynasty, I went with Sure Know Something. From Unmasked, I went with Tomorrow. From Music from the Elder, I went with A World Without Heroes. Off of Creatures of the Night, I went with Creatures of the Night. From Lick It Up, I went with A Million to One. From Analyze, I went with Heavens on Fire. From Asylum, I went with Who Wants to Be Lonely. From Crazy Nights, I went with I'll Fight Hell to Hold You. From Hot in the Shade, I went with Forever. From Revenge, I went with Domino. Off of Carnival of Souls, I Will Be There. I went with Dreamin' off of Psycho Circus. From Sonic Boom, I went with Modern Day Delilah. And from Monster, I went with All for the Love of Rock and Roll. But if there can only be one, I need to go with the sentimental, the song that meant the most to me in the entire Kiss discography. I'm going with Forever. I knew you were going. As soon as you mapped it out and painted that picture, I was like, this is his pick. It has to be. Oh, it has There's to too be. too much sentimental value. I think from a musical perspective, a, a, a case could be made for going blind, but the, the song, the memory, and the impact that that album and that era had on me, I, I can't not go with Forever. You know what? I think it's good, though. I think both of our picks kind of speak to the band. Like, we were talking about how the different eras mean different things and how everybody's kind of got their version. I think it's great that we both have these, what I would call sleeper picks, neither of them from what a lot of people would say, because I know everybody was probably expecting Destroyer to be up there. You know what I mean? I, I, at least one of us to pick it. But there's so much quality that you just pick which one feels best to you. Yeah. And sometimes it's the song that's the gateway drug. And that's the thing. Forever, for me, was the gateway drug. Analyze may have been the first album, but forever and hot in the shade that was the entry into kiss world and i will always look back at that era and that album and that song very very fondly lyle thank you so much for sitting in for 20 albums worth of kiss now before we go please let our listeners know where they can find you and where they can hear you you can hear me on 640 Toronto. I am one of the content producers there. Listen to Let's Talk with Danny Stover, Toronto Today with Greg Brady, the John Oakley Show, Alex Pearson or Kelly Katora, any of our great hosts. You'll hear me chime in from time to time, depending on what day of the week it is and what part of that crazy universe I'm a part of. 
All right, Lyle, thank you so much. And you know, the seat is always open for you and there is a mic with your name on it anytime you want to come back on either show. And to you, our listeners, thank you so much for listening to this episode of There Can Only Be One. Now, if there's an artist that you want us to cover, you can hit us up on social media at OnlyOneCast or go to our website at NotThatBadCast.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out all of our other shows. In the meantime... Lyle, thank you. Listeners, you guys are awesome. This is There Can Only Be One, a member of the Pantheon Podcast family. Until next time, everyone, take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.